the book of the Nazarene and the book of John the Enlightened of Elohim were included together in a text known as the Gospel of the Kaleidi, meaning wise strangers. The origins of this work are debated, as no original manuscripts have ever been found. However, it is commonly believed that the books were preserved and passed down by Celtic believers in the 1500s after previously being saved from arson, possibly either the burning of the Library of Alexandra or the Glastonbury Abbey fire in 1184. It has been tucked away alongside a secular work known as the Colburn. However, they don't remotely share any similarities. Whether this is a complete and divinely inspired text can certainly be debated. Nevertheless, we do believe that it contains the words from our Messiah that were not captured in the canonical gospel accounts. As stated by the Apostle John, if everything the Messiah did were recorded, all of the books in the world could not contain them. In this volume, you will find astonishing parables, new and old, that will challenge your walk. Join us as we test this book, allowing the Spirit of the Most High to guide us unto what is true. Shabbat Shalom and welcome brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Parable of the Vineyard Stream. My name is Adam and I welcome you. This is part 17 of our line-by-line -line study of the Book of the Nazarene. Just in case you're stumbling across this, you're like, what's the Book of the Nazarene? Well, uh, it's a book that was also known as the Gospel of Kaleidi. We believe that this is another gospel account of the words of our Messiah. Uh, there's a lot of explanation on parables that we know from the four gospel accounts that we're used to, a little more explanation. I will say, for those of you that are understand that our walk is to consist of faith and obedience uh, to the Most High's commandments, this is probably one of the most pro-Torah understandings of a New Testament perspective that I've ever seen. Uh, and so anyways, just wanted to just mention that. We're going to be covering chapter 13 in this study, whether we'll finish the whole chapter 13 or not, I'm not sure. But let's get started. Before we do, uh, let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, Most High, we just come before you and bless you and your Son, Yahushua's name. Father, we thank you that you have given us eternal life through your Son. And Father, we thank you for the testimony that he has uh, given us. We thank you for... Um, the reconciliation you've given us, the forgiveness, the relieving of the burden of sin upon us. Father, we just ask that you'd guide us through this study tonight, that we may glean uh, and apply these words to our lives, Father, that we may be found doing what you want us to do at the return of Messiah Husha. In his name we do pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's do a little road shofar and we'll get right to it. All right, so here we are in chapter 13. Let's get started. Yehusha and the Twelve worked with the fishermen and on ships bringing goods from all parts of the world, even from the cities beyond. That's kind of interesting, considering a lot of people have been wondering, you know, what kind of access to the Americas or these other, the New World, if you will, uh, before what history tells us. Anyways, and during this time, he did not draw attention to himself. Then one day, while in the part of Tyre called the Place of Purple, he came upon two men in argument among several others. This is, seems to be um, what Hebrews like to do. Or, yeah. 
Anyways, he said to them, no disagreement can be settled justly by blows. While loud words confuse the issue, if your brother does wrong, reprove him quietly. But let it be between you two alone. If the matter cannot be settled between you, then seek two men acceptable to both and let them decide the issue. So um, I just, I love, I love Messiah and the way he teaches us, like how to handle things. Um, let's back up. First of all, uh, kind of what I said earlier, there just seems to be a fascination with uh, arguing with each other in this movement. And frankly, I am tired of it. Um, but nevertheless, it happens. And so when it happens, Messiah tells us how to deal with these things. Um, he said, no disagreement can be settled justly by blows while loud words confuse the issue. If your brother does wrong or prove him quietly, but let it be between you two alone. This seems to be the kind of the key thing that I think a lot of uh, what people are missing is when you get a problem with somebody, just go to them, right? You don't have to tell everyone else about it. Go directly to them. If if they've done something wrong uh, to you or just alone, um, go to them. Like, hey, 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 this is this is what I'm seeing going on. This is what the word says. Let's talk about it and come to them in love, right? Anyways, let's let's back up for just a second. So let's talk about reproof. So Messiah didn't say, hey, if you see an issue with your brother, just like, you know, ignore it. Just like, eh, tuck it under the rug. Just store it in your heart. No. So let's go back to the biblical principles found in the Torah. Leviticus 19, 16 through 17. You shall not go up and down as a talebearer among the people. So it's like, hey, guess what so-and-so did? Hey, guess what? Neither shall you stand against the blood of your neighbor. I am Yahuwah. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall in any ways rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. So if you see your neighbor sinning against you or just in general, rebuke your neighbor. That's That's love. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go in and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Like, just go to him one-on-one. -on -one. Like, hey, this is what's going on. If he shall hear you, you have gained your brother. So it's like you go to them with an issue like, hey, you know, this is what's going on. Um, this is what the scripture says. And they're like, bro, you're right. Forgive me. I repent. Such and such. Right? You've gained your brother. Hallelujah. But if he's like, what are you talking about? You have lost your mind. If he'll not hear you, then take with you one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, what I really like about what it said here in the book of Nazarene, just a little dose of extra information. It says here, then seek two men acceptable to both. That is key because it's like, okay, so if you have uh, person A and person B, but person A brings two people that would show bias or favoritism to person A, how comfortable is person B going to be even with that conversation? They're going to be like, well, this is like totally one-sided already. Find people that are neutral, neutral in the situation, neutral to both of you, maybe a good friend of both, or maybe even someone out of your realm of friendship that would totally look at the situation without bias. So I really like that part here in the Nazarene. Then seek two men acceptable to both. That in the mouth of two, three witnesses, every word may be established. And if you neglect to hear them, tell it to the assembly. But if you neglect to hear the assembly, then let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. Let's keep going. So in the when you are rebuking somebody, this is the spirit it should be done. Second Timothy 2, 
24 through 26. And the servant of Yahuwah must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. So this is like, this is like a command, like be gentle. Some people have, some people this comes naturally to. Some people they're like, yeah, I'm not a gentle person. I'm not going to be, I'm not even going to pretend it. I'm not even going to try. Like, that's not going to work. We all have different things to work on. You who struggle with being gentle, you may excel at 10 other qualities that other people have uh, issues with, but this might be your big test. Can you be gentle unto all men? Just like Hebrews says, we're to follow peace with all men and righteousness. Can you be gentle unto all men, ready to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves? So meek, being humble, gentle. If Elohim peradventure will give them repentance, the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats a matter separates very friends. So um, it says right here, like, if your brother does wrong, reprove him quietly. You, why do you need to go and tell everyone about it? Well, if you do, if that's what you feel led to do, I would say that there's probably a heart check. What What's the motive behind that? Do you want to, are you looking to uh, humiliate your brother? Are you looking to lower your brother and elevate yourself? I mean, what's what's the root issue? What's the root cause that would make you want to do that? To go blast it all over Facebook or go blast it, whatever, so-and-so. Proverbs 17.9, he that covers a transgression seeks love. Do you actually love that person or do you hate them in your heart? And so because you hate them, you want to just go tell everyone about it. Uh, Testament of Simeon. Sacred text right here. Text Testament of Simeon. Um, I want to share something with you, but... Well, I thought it was in here. It's in one of the Testaments. It basically says that through hatred, like when someone sins, they want to make sure that everyone knows about it and that they should be put to death for it. Anyways, he that covers a transgression seeks love, but he that repeats a matter separates very friends. Let's go to Sirach 28. Because a lot of this has to do with what comes out of your mouth and behavior. I think Sirach, if you guys are new, Sirach is also known as Ecclesiasticus, not Ecclesiastes. This book was included in the 1611 KJV under the Apocrypha section. It was included in the Greek Septuagint. This was considered scripture for a very long time. Sirach 28, He that takes vengeance will suffer vengeance from Yahuwah, and will he will firmly establish his sins. Forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. Does a man harbor anger against another and yet seek for healing from Yahuwah? Does he have no mercy towards a man like himself and yet pray for his own sins? If he himself being flesh maintains wrath, who will make expiation for his sins? Remember the end of your life and cease from enmity. Remember destruction and death and be true to the commandments. Remember the commandments and do not be angry with your neighbor. Remember the covenant of the Most High and overlook ignorance. Refrain from strife, and you will lessen sins. For a man given to anger will kindle strife, and a sinful man will disturb friends. And inject enmity among those who are at peace. You see this a lot in this movement. Like, chill out. Chill out and relax. 
like the thing matters can be handled in love and gentleness and in sincerity doesn't have to be a blazing fire all the time. It's making Yah and this whole movement look silly and foolish. In proportion to the fuel for the fire, so will be the burning. And in proportion to the obstinacy of strife will be the burning. In proportion to the strength of the man will be his anger. And in proportion to his wealth, he will heighten his wrath. A hasty quarrel kindles fire and urgent strife sheds blood. Listen, this is really cool. This is Think about this. Think about like a, a fire, right? If you blow on a spark, it will glow. If you spit on it, it will be put out and both come out of your mouth. Essentially, you have the power to either make this fire grow or to put it out. Curse the whisperer and deceiver, for he has destroyed many who were at peace. Slander has shaken many and scattered them from nation to nation and destroyed strong cities and overturned the houses of great men. Slander has driven away courageous women and deprived them of the fruit of their toil. Whoever pays heed to slander will not find rest, nor will he settle down in peace. The blow of a whip raises a welt, but a blow of the tongue crushes the bones. Many have fallen by the edge of the sword, but not so many as have fallen because of the tongue. Happy is the man who is protected from it, who has not been exposed to its anger, who has not borne its yoke, and has not been bound with its fetters. For its yoke is a yoke of iron, and its fetters are fetters of bronze. Its death is an evil death, and Hades is preferable to it. It will not be master over the godly, and they will not be burned in its flame. Those who forsake Yahuwah will fall into its power. It will burn among them and will not be put out. We've seen this with our own eyes. It will be sent out against them like a lion, like a leopard. It will mangle them. See that you fence in your property with thorns and lock up your silver and gold. Make balances and scales for your words and make a door and a bolt for your mouth. Beware, lest you err with your tongue, lest you fall before him who lies in wait. So the book of James says that the tongue is a world of fire. And it says that no man can tame it. However, I don't think that's exactly what he's saying. I don't think he's saying, well, nobody can tame the tongue. So, you know, just keep putting fires everywhere. I think that's the duty of man is to recognize that the tongue is a world full of evil and that we are to doused it douse that flame that the tongue wants to kindle so if your brother does wrong reprove him quietly so a lot i know a lot of you are on facebook can't stand that place but i know a lot of you are out there so i'm going to speak to that so it's like instead of like if someone sins instead of like making a post and be like so and so how about like instant message private message be like hey man here's what's going on can we talk about it maybe we can get on the phone like that's another thing any any opportunity you have, like talk to people face to face in person. Um, technology just muddies the water so much. Phone is okay because you can still at least hear like voice inflections and you can kind of get tone and attitude, uh, or you can pick up someone's tone and attitude through through voice. Texting is like a terrible idea. Um, email terrible idea because you just the message gets lost. Kind of like when scriptures are written in Hebrew then translated into different languages the kind of meaning is lost anyways I'm kind of getting away from the point here uh, let's take a look at Proverbs 15 1 through 5 so it says here no disagreement so this is not Sarim 13 uh, verse 3 no, no disagreement can be settled justly by blows 
while loud words confuse the issue. And this is what people love to continue to do. They love to yell and get, you know, get angry and get violent. And so this reminds me also of, because um, Messiah was supposed to be the prophet like Moshe. It reminds me of when Moshe went to, um, pretty sure that in the Aramaic they're identified as Datham and Abiram. They were arguing and they're like, who made you a judge over us? But it just reminds me, Messiah is coming up to these two people. He's like, hey, what's going on? No disagreement can be settled justly by blows, while loud words confuse the issue. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath. So this is not like, some people are like, ah, New Testament is like, New Testament's soft and silly, while um, the Old Testament is all about warfare and like rough and, you know, yelling and a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge or right, but the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. The eyes of Yahuwah are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. Matthew 5, 22-24 but I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, so it's like we, we obviously we're not doing these animal sacrifices right now, but our prayers and offerings and, oh, Yahuwah, I thank you, and, or, or, you know, you know, requesting something or beseeching something so therefore be before or if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you leave there your gift before the altar go your way first be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift so he's like before you come to me and offer this and this go reconcile with your brother that's more important basically he's saying the order of operations that is more important being reconciled to your brother is more important than offering that gift is what he's saying uh, let's also go to the book of Nazarene, chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. In the PDF, that's page 70. Nazarene 7, 7 through 8. While eating, Yahushua said, No man of himself can know right from wrong. For what is right in one man's eyes may be wrong in another's. Therefore, strife arises among them. Only when men accept a single standard of judgment and abide by it, there can be peace. So it's one thing to say we're Torah. It's another to actually walk it out. So only when men accept a single standard of judgment and live by it can there be peace. When men live together without the light of the Torah, they are like a house built with unmortared bricks or like men trying to tow a boat but all pulling it in different directions. Get a visual of that right now. Like imagine there's 10 of us and we're trying to tow a boat but we're all pulling it in different directions. You get nowhere. There are two laws, the law of men and the, and the Torah of the Father who is in heaven. When I speak of the Torah, I do not mean the law of men. I am the light illuminating Yahuwah's Torah so men see it more clearly. And though I fulfill the Torah, I do not change it. Never say, this is right or that is wrong, but only this is right or wrong according to the Torah and in the light of Yahushua. So when these disputes happen, the resolution and the basis of who's right and who's wrong should be based off of the Torah and the writings in the prophets. So, anyways, um, I think we've handled these verses pretty well. Let's, or enough, excuse me, whether it's, well, that's obviously up for judgment, but 
Nazarim 13, verse 4. By the time Yahusha had dealt with this matter, a crowd had gathered, and someone in it called out, Master, come with me to my brother and tell him that the estate left by our father should be shared with me. Yahusha called him forward and said, I am a teacher. No man has given me authority to decide such matters. When things are done properly, there is less likelihood of repercussions. Basically, what I'm getting from this is everything is supposed to be done in order. When things are done properly or orderly, in order with structure, there is less likelihood of repercussions. Uh, this is something that I experienced recently myself, recognizing that well, Messiah is basically is, is saying here, hey, uh, there's different people ordained for different things. And at that time, his calling was... Um, like this, like the apostles wanted to, wanted him to lead them into battle, right, and to take Israel back. Well, that wasn't his place at the time. He came to teach, but nevertheless, the point here is, if, like Ephesians four eleven through sixteen is a good example. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, looking at like someone like Paul or Peter, can you be an apostle and a prophet and a teacher at the same time? Sure. In our day and age, are, are people all these things? Probably not. Maybe Yah is picked to do one or the other. And some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Messiah. And that's something that we all need to recognize is if Abba has given you a gift, this is what it's for. It's not for you. It's for the perfecting of the saints. He's given you this gift for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Mashiach, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of Elohim unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. So when are we going to come in the unity of the faith? Abba, help us. We are struggling here. Help us, O Yahuwah. Let's pray right now. Father, Yahuwah, Most High, we see that your body is so disjointed. We are all over the place. We're fractured. We're splintered. And it just continues to happen, Father. We just ask in Yahushua's name that you'd help us unify in the Ruach. Help the body come together. We love you so much in Yahushua's mighty name. Amen. Will that happen before Messiah comes? I don't know. I think we should be striving for this. Um, but who knows? We'll see. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You see a lot of this, of course. By the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Messiah, from whom the whole body fitly jointed together, joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's go to Nazarene 13. We're going to read 6 through 8. Then Yahusha turned to the gathering and said, Take care always to guard against all kinds of greed and acquisitiveness, which is like another word for it, which is like gathering acquisitions. For no man's happiness can be assured by his possessions. In fact, much wealth is the father of sleepless nights. There was a certain rich man whose fields were fertile, yielding heavy crops, seeing the bounty of the land. He decided there was in insufficient space to store it and had his barns and storehouses pulled down so bigger ones could be erected. Into these he stacked everything until the new buildings were packed full. When this was completed, he relaxed, saying to himself, Now I have ample laid up for all my future needs and can eat and drink and enjoy my good fortune. 
But that night he was called to his accounting in another life, and no part of his worldly goods could be taken. Now, who benefited by all that he had accumulated? This is how it is with those who accumulate worldly wealth but remain spiritual paupers. Yahushua then turned to two of the twelve who stood beside him and said, This is why I tell you not to unduly concern yourselves with food and clothing. There is so much more to life than eating, and the body requires more than clothes. Look at the wild birds, which live happily from day to day and learn from them. Have no doubts, my friends, for you are certainly heirs to glory with an unassailable treasure house in heaven. This is so true. I've learned this for myself. When uh, Paul talks about learning how to be content with abundance or with little, and being satisfied with what Yahweh provides, a lot or a little. Just like how Job was content even through all the stuff he went through. Surely there was some mourning, but I'm talking about in general. He, his wife is like, are you still serving, you know, are you still serving Yah? Curse him and die, right? But seriously, when we recognize to be satisfied with what we have, the positions we're in, um, the employment that we have, uh, the family that he's given us, that's when it's like, that's when you just have this shalom inside you that words can't describe. And I know this firsthand um, prior to ministry. Um, I was in uh, the business and the sales world and my life was driven by money. And I, I bought the lie before coming, really coming to the truth. I bought the lie that, you know, succeeding in your career was going to give you that happiness. Um, getting that degree is going to give you that happiness. Um, Getting that house or that car or that the American dream is going to get you that happiness. But I, I know firsthand that it wasn't, that it would never would. You know, um, you know that old saying, money can't buy me love? Well, money can't buy you shalom either. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. Uh, matter of fact, he says right here, um, uh, where is it? In fact, much wealth is the father of sleepless nights. I know this firsthand. Matter of fact, I also worked directly under a multimillionaire and I saw firsthand that having all that money bought, bought him no happiness whatsoever. Can't buy you love, can't buy you happiness, can't buy you shalom. Those are things that are given to you by the Most High when you walk in His ways. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He that loves silver or money shall not be satisfied with silver or money nor he that loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. So people who's, there's nothing wrong with having money. Paul doesn't say money is the is the root of all evil. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. I'll tell you, when you recognize that money is, it's all it's all Abba's, it comes, it goes. There's, in, there's abundance, there's little, there's seasons. When you recognize that he will provide for you no matter what. And this isn't like a, well, let's just quit all of our jobs. Let's lay back in the hammock and be like, he's just going to provide for me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you recognize that money is not going to give you that happiness. Even if you're like, oh man, if I can just pay off all that debt, I'm going to be happy. I will tell you, when debt is off your shoulders, there is a burden off your shoulders. That is true. But the point here is that we have to be on guard because the world constantly dangles this carrot in our face. We are in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in it. And constantly, 
there's a reminder. I mean, you can't go out of your house and see billboards. And it's just like, it's like, it's enticing you to consume, you know, consume and, and lust and, you know, I don't know. Anyways. Uh, oh, there was a little more I want to share. Uh, Matthew six nineteen through 21, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So walking in the ways, doing what's right, loving you loving your neighbor, and all the things associated with what that looks like, these are the treasures. These are the real treasures. And again, I'm not talking about against money. Many of the great patriarchs were very wealthy. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and many others were very wealthy. And we've, as we've read in previous Naturim chapters, money isn't what's evil. It's what it makes of men. Greed. Filthy lucre. These are the things. No, I think there's actually one more. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. So what's the real treasure? My son, if you will receive my words and hide command, my commandments with you so that you incline your ear into wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding. Just like James says, um, if you want wisdom, ask him for it. And he'll give it to you. Except don't be double-minded about it. If you seek her, so wisdom, as silver and search for her as for hid treasures, then shall you understand the fear of Yahuwah and find the knowledge of Elohim. Going over to Proverbs 3, 13 through 17, happy is the man that finds wisdom. Not the man who's filthy rich that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies and all the things that you can desire are not to be compared with her. Length of days are in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Hallelujah. Another one just thinking about right now, Psalm 19, talking about here in verse 7, the Torah of Yahuwah is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Yah is sure, making wise a simple. The statutes of Yahuwah are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahuwah is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahuwah is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of Yah are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. Nazarim 13.9 Be prepared for whatever comes. Your clothes fitting the occasion and your lamp lit like servants awaiting the master's return. Let's go to... So he says here, be prepared for whatever comes. It says right here, my son, if you come forward to serve Yahuwah, prepare yourself for temptation. Set your heart right and be steadfast and do not be hasty in time of calamity. Cleave to him and do not depart that you may be honored at the end of your life. Listen to this, accept whatever is brought upon you and in changes that humble you, be patient. For gold is tested in the fire and acceptable men in the furnace of humiliation. So be prepared for whatever comes. Your clothes fitting the occasion and your lamp lit, like servants awaiting the master's return from visiting, ready to open the door immediately. So we're going to talk about keeping watch, being ready. Um, 
Actually, we'll talk about that in a second. The master is gratified on finding them, finding his servants, anticipating his arrival and does not fail to reward them. Thieves keep clear of houses where the owners have made provisions for their coming, but go in search of those unguarded or where the occupants sleep. Therefore, always hold yourself in readiness for you never know from day to day what will eventuate. So let's talk about keeping watch. And obviously with what's going on in the world, now, the last couple of years, the last hundred years, we should be keeping watch. Revelation 3.3 3 says, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast. So you've received the good news and the, the, the testimony of keeping the truth, walking like Messiah. Hold fast. So stay in your lane. Hold fast and repent. If therefore you shall not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you shall not know what hour I come upon you. So should we be obsessing about what's going on in Israel and God and Gaza and have to know every single thing that's going on? No. But we need to be aware of what's going on in the world wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence in diverse places. These are the things he told us to watch out for at his return. And he says here, Your lamp lit like servants awaiting the master's return from visiting, ready to open the door immediately. The master is gratified on finding his servants anticipating anticipating his arrival. So it's like, we're like, oh man. So for me, at least, I, I believe he's going to come back on one of the feast days. So for me, it's like every feast, I'm like, is this the one? Ooh, come on. Oh, is this the one? Like, I feel like that's how we should be. That's what these feasts are for. Sure, it's a big festival to Yah, thanking him. Um, it, it's it's It points to Messiah and but part of that is like, oh, are you coming back this time or what? It says the master is gratified. He's happy. Like, don't you want to make him happy? I do. He's happy on finding his servants, anticipating his arrival. Hallelujah. First Peter 5, 8, be sober and vigilant. So this is the same word. The word vigilant is the same word as watch. If you shall not watch, I'll come upon you as a thief. So be sober, be sober and watch. So we're going to look at what this word watch is. Gregorio. The Greek word is Gregorio. And uh, it means watch, wake, be vigilant, to watch metaphorically, give strict attention to, be cautious, active, take heed lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. To keep awake, literally or figuratively, be vigilant, watchful. So be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And listen, y'all, um, that's his job. Uh, Revelation 12, did I put that in here? Revelation 12. Oops. Revelation 12, right? It says... His, uh, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having his seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. I believe this is talking about uh, the true nation of Israel being born, not of a skin color or bloodline, but those of the faith of Messiah, the promised ones to come. As soon as they're born, they come into the faith. He seeks to devour them. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Um, 
Also consider the parable of the seeds. When someone hears the truth and it's it, it's in his heart uh, and he doesn't understand, the devil comes by and takes that which is away. So he seeks to devour, to bring out of the faith, whether it's by uprooting faith in Messiah or uh, the understanding that we are to keep the commandments. That's why he's called the lawless one. Matthew 24, 42 through 51, watch therefore, same word, so be vigilant, be ready, therefore, for you know not what hour your master does come, but know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. So keep guard over your life, over your thoughts, over your mind, over your ruach, over what you doing are doing with your hands, with your mouth. Therefore, be you also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, shall find so doing. I don't know about you. I want to be blessed when he comes back. So what do we do? To give them meat in due season, to, right, to take care of, to feed his lambs. Verily I say to you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My master delays his coming, <laughs> and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. So this is a one thing that the devil is uh, really inciting Yah's people is to smite their fellow servants. So going back to the beginning of this, like when, of course, we're going to have issues. That's what happens when you get people together. Torah. Torah without people, other people, is super easy. It's super easy. Even if you're going from Christianity to this this walk of faith and obedience, it's the same thing. You're just tra- you're just changing what you do, how you do things. So it's like you you used to keep days, now you keep also keep days, but it's the different days. Instead of Christmas, you're keeping the feast days. Well, that's easy to do. Instead of uh, Sunday, you're it's you're doing you know Saturday or whatever you know Friday evening to Saturday, Saturday evening, right? So what I'm saying is it's that's not hard. Keeping Passover and and Shabbat and putting on your tzitzit and eating clean, that's all easy stuff. It's enjoyable. It's great. The hard part about Torah, the, 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 the challenge, is doing it with other people. That's the challenge. The challenge is to love other people. People talk about keeping the commandments and with such zeal and whatever, but they stomp all over their brother. Wow. So imagine, imagine people saying, people smiting their fellow servants, and that doesn't mean just slapping across the face. I believe that's with your word, smiting with your words. Just like Sirach said, you, you know, you get the, the the lash of the whip, it hurts. But what's, what hurts more is the stinging from the tongue. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunken. The master of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he's not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as I've posed this question before, how awful of all the things that we go through, the refinements, the the change in our lives, the um, all, all the different trials. Think about all the trials that you've gone through to get to where you're right now, whether you've been in this walk for six days or seven months or Fifty years. Think of all the things that you've gone through to 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 stand firm in this faith, and you begin to get sassy with your other uh, brothers and sisters, get nasty with them, and you go all through all through all through that to get cut asunder, and your portion is with the hypocrites. There will definitely be weeping and gnashing of teeth over that. 
Revelation 16, 13 through 15, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go into the kings of the earth and of the whole world. So people, all people to gather them to the battle of that great day of El Shaddai. And behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So obviously those that are watching and keeping their garments are not going to be tempted by these unclean spirits that are going around and encouraging people to do all kinds of crazy stuff like smite their brother, like deny Messiah, like fall away from the commandments, like participate in all the works of the flesh. Keep guard on your house, O children of Israel. Revelation 3.10 Because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation or trial or tribulation which shall come upon all the world to try them which dwell upon the earth. Keep his word, O children of Israel, with patience, with meekness, with understanding. This word we've been talking about, keep watch or be watchful, in the Hebrew it would have been shamar which means to keep, guard, observe, give heed, have charge of, uh, keep watch and ward, protect, save life, wait for, observe, retain, treasure up in your memory, uh, restrain, celebrate, keep the Sabbath or covenant commandments, perform your vows, preserve, protect, uh, to be on guard, take heed, take care, beware, uh, abstain, be guarded, Yeah, to hedge about. Protect your house. Protect your family. Protect your mind. Nazarim 13.10 Kepha said, Master, is this meant... By the way, Kepha is Peter, in case you're new. Kepha said, Master, is this meant for us, or does it apply to everyone? Yahushua answered, Who does the Master choose to fill a position of trust? Is it not the man who works diligently, though not under the eye of the Master? I can assure you, this is the man who will be promoted. If, however, the man in whom trust is vested thinks, I'm not being observed by the Master, and gets drunk or is careless about what is done, be sure the Master will catch him out. Any servant who knows what to do but fails to do it should not go unchastised. But those who do not know what is expected of them cannot be justly criticized. From the man who is given much responsibility, much will be expected. For the greater the trust placed in the man, the greater should be the return. Let's look at uh, Sirach 3, 17-20. I was kind of uh, zoning in here on for the greater trust placed in the man, the greater should be the return. Sirach 3, 17 through 20. My son, perform your tasks in meekness. Then you will be loved by those whom Elohim accepts. Listen to this. The greater you are, the more you must humble yourself. So think of like Moses. Think about Messiah. They were the greatest. They were some of the greatest. They humbled themselves. The greater you are, the more you must humble yourself. So it's like the more you're learning, the more you're getting refined in this Torah, the more you think that you, know, you, you think you're starting to understand the more you must humble yourself, the more you must become meek. So you will find favor in the sight of Yahuwah. For great is the might of Yahuwah. He is glorified by the humble. 
Matthew 23, 11 through 12. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Praise you. But keep this in mind. For those of you who have been given talents, gifts, and you know it's from Yah, so the greater your gift he's given you, the greater should be the return. And remember, the gifts given is to edify the body, not just yourself. Nazarim 13, 13. A man in the crowd said to Yahusha, We have heard of your teachings and that you herald the rule of Elohim. Tell us about this. Yahusha said, There is a there is the kingdom of the Ruach and the kingdom of the flesh. So there's a uh, spiritual realm and the fleshly realm. Yahweh rules the first himself, but the second he rules through his viceroy, man. But man tries to set himself up as an independent ruler, making his own laws and setting aside those of his sovereign, of his king. When the viceroy ceases to rebel and governs in accord with the decrees of the sovereign, that will be the rule of Elohim. Let's take a look at Second um, Ezra seven nineteen through 25 kind of just showing how uh, you know, he, he gave man his, his dominion and was supposed to rule it by the commandments. But of course, they rejected Second Ezra 7, 19 through 25. And he said to me, you are not a better judge than Elohim or wiser than the Most High. Let many perish who are now living rather than the law of Elohim, which is set before them, be disregarded. For Elohim strictly commanded those who came into the world when they came, what they should do to live, and what they should observe to avoid punishment. Nevertheless, they were not obedient and spoke against him. So just so you're like, what, what did they tell? So when Noah came off the boat, he taught his sons the commandments. Nevertheless, they were not obedient. Shem and his lineage kept it going. But the others didn't. And spoke against him. So they were not obedient and they spoke against him. They devised for themselves vain thoughts and proposed to themselves wicked frauds. They even declared that the Most High does not exist and they ignored his ways. They scorned his law like many people still do to this very day and denied his covenants. They have been unfaithful to his statutes and have not performed his works. Therefore, Ezra, empty things are for the empty and full things are for the full. So point being though, it says here that when the viceroy ceases to rebel and governs in accord with the decrees of the sovereign, that will be the rule of Elohim. Or at least maybe what it's trying to say is initiating the rule of the Elohim of, of Elohim. There was a passage in Second Baruch that alluded to once every single soul has been born, then will the end come. Um, <clears throat> so I wonder, you know, if we're just waiting for that full number of people to come into the full truth, not just hearing the gospel of you believe in the historical figure of the son of, of son of Yah and you're, you're, that's it. But I'm talking about the restoring the full gospel as it's intended, uh, a walk of faith and obedience. Maybe when that very last number comes in, then the rule of Elohim comes. Maybe he's waiting for that last soul. Maybe. Maybe that's what he's talking about in the fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness of the nations. So my point is, let's begin to restore. And we each have a job to do. This isn't going to be done by just a handful of people. This takes the whole body of Messiah. What's your job? What are you doing? Maybe in your, your job literally may just be to live life and be a light to those around you. That could be the fullness of it. I don't know. I can't answer that. Yahuwah can. Have you asked him? Because I don't know about you, like I want, 
I want the rule of Elohim to come. The man said, This teaching is beyond our understanding. We have the Torah, which comes from the mouthpieces of Elohim. Yehusha said, Of course you have the Torah, but it is either disobeyed, ignored, or circumvented. So what the Jews did quite a bit is they circumvented. They got around it. They made man-made laws that went around it. Or people ignore them, which I think mainstream Christianity is taught to ignore them. Like, oh, that's for the Jews. Oh, no, that's for the Jews. No way. That's for that's for Yah's people. Are you in covenant with him or not? Are you his people or not? So the Torah is either disobeyed, ignored, or circumvented. Therefore, it is nullified and rendered ineffective. I have come to gather the lost sheep, bringing them back into the fold, which is the will of Yahuwah. I have come to cleanse the earth with purifying fire. But though I have struck the sparks, the tinder is not yet ignited. I travel a stony road, but the greatest ordeal lies ahead. You may think in your hearts that I come to bring peace on the earth and concord among men, and this is true, for such will be under the rule of Elohim. So we can read tons of scripture about the in the time and in, in the rule of, of, of our master, the, the, the earth is going to be ruled in shalom. However, before this comes about, those who oppose it must be defeated. Therefore, I come to arm those who are loyal to the cause, to put a sword into the hands of men and stinging words on the tongues of women. Henceforth, families will be divided against themselves and brother will be separated from brother and father against son. And so he, he says here, the enemy must be defeated. So the, the opposition must be defeated. So before the rule of Elohim can come, which is the kingdom of Yah, the kingdom of, of, of Yah, before it, come, before it comes, those who oppose it must be defeated. And in this book, we find out truly who the real enemy is of the coming rule of the kingdom. We're going to go to Natsarim 9.53. Uh, 9.53. Uh, okay, is that right? Is this chapter 9? Yeah. 9.53. There is no reason why hypocrisy, the disease of the day, should come so naturally to men. But which of you is not contaminated by it? How many of you are self-deceivers making excuses for these things? How is it that you can readily detect the small faults in others while being so absolutely blind to your own much greater ones? How can you say to another, let me help you see more clearly? When you are practically blind yourself, you hypocrites and self-deceivers, first examine your own faults and feelings before criticizing of those of others. Please, body of Messiah, listen up to these words. Let's go now to verse 69 of chapter 9. Hearing these things, hearing the things said by the people among themselves, Yehusha was saddened and said to Bartholomew, who stood near him, Tomorrow they will revert to their old way of life and permit evil to reign through hypocrites and self-deceivers. How can they be brought to understand that should Yahweh intervene to bring about the rule of Elohim, earth and mankind will have failed him and be unworthy of his rule? Life's purpose is to produce shepherds, not sheep. But the lives of the people are turned inwards upon themselves. Let's go to Nazarim eleven twelve. The hypocrites, the self-deceivers, and the self-centered 
are the minions of evil on earth and are the true enemy opposing the coming rule of Elohim. So he's like, it's not the Satanists, it's not the Buddhists, it's not the, all these um, New Agers that's it's opposing the coming rule of Elohim. It's people in this walk who are hypocrites, self-deceivers, and self-centered are the minions of evil on earth and are the true enemy opposing the coming rule of Elohim. Let them maintain the upper hand and you will never know the joys of a reborn world. Turn your backs on these wherever you find them so your contempt is made manifest. But remember, they will be found in the most unexpected places. Let's go to verse 20 of the same chapter. Go your ways, but beware of those who speak fairly but hold deceit in their hearts. Beware of hypocrites and deceivers. It is no sin to be blind, but to disguise the blindness and say, we see, follow us, is one of the greatest evils. Last passage, we're going to go to Nazarim 18.14. Yahusha taught that the greatest enemies of man and the greatest opposition to the coming rule of Elohim were not the obvious evildoers and criminals, but the hypocrites, self-deceivers, and self-centered. Those are the true enemies of men the festering evil in their midst, yet they cannot see themselves for what they are and have many ways of justifying themselves. It's like you see people like in the walk and they're like, oh, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to do the Matthew 18 process with them because they're not a brother because they don't do Torah like I do it. You know, it's stuff like that. All right, let's go to... So the those who oppose the kingdom of Elohim must be defeated. Let's go to 1319. Some of the crowd said among themselves, these words we can understand. Truly, this is the one promised who will deliver us from our oppressors. Yehusha said, bide your time and all things will be made clear. A scribe in the crowd said, it seems you speak with hidden meanings. How are we to interpret these teachings? Yehusha said, you are so accustomed to devious thinking, trying to make a yes into a no to suit your convenience, that when given truth, you pull it apart, seeking to find something else behind it. Unless you accept these things as what a child, you cannot hope to enter into the kingdom of Yahuwah. So this is a prime example of the modern day Christianity, trying to make a yes into a no to suit your convenience. For example, Matthew 5, 17, think not. So he starts with, don't think that I am come to destroy the law. So it's like whatever interpretation you may think you found or come up with, don't think that I am come to destroy the law, literally. Or the prophets I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So even though they'll say, well, he's fulfilled it, they're saying he's not destroying it, but he's doing away with it. So it's like, this is a twisting of words um, to suit their convenience. So he's like, don't think that I am come to destroy the law. But what does Christianity essentially say he did? In other translations, don't think that I have come to, to abolish the law. So he's like, don't think that. But of course, what does the modern day interpretation say? Well, he did. He abolished it for Christians. Hebrews 10.26, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. And once again, they want to turn this no into a yes. So, we should be cognizant of that, aware of this, that this is what men have done. This is where men have failed before us. So, we need to be careful not to do the very same. So, if a scripture says, do this, we shouldn't be like, well, uh, well, 
We should have a fear of Yah to not change, add, or diminish His word. So again, you are so accustomed to devious thinking, trying to make a yes into a no to suit your convenience, that when given truth, you pull it apart, seeking to find something else behind it. Unless you accept these things as would a child, you cannot hope to enter into the kingdom of Yahuwah. So this is another. This is a pretty good interpretation of um, what it means to to become like little children. So, recognizing the scripture is simple, like he's like Ten Commandments, right? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And people are like, well, well, because of this verse and this verse, I think it's done away with. All right, you get the point. Nazarene 13, 23. When you see clouds coming in from the west, you say, soon there will be rain. And this forecast proves to be correct. When the south wind blows, you say, it will be extremely hot. And again, your prediction is right. What hypocrites you are so quick to interpret some signs while closing your eyes to others less to your liking. You can interpret the omens in the earth and sky, but close your eyes to those indicating present trends. Some in the crowd said, We have failings of men. Should we be condemned for these? Yehusha replied, As sons of Yahuwah, you inherit his substance and are heirs to glory. Think less of earthly weakness, weaknesses and more of godly strength. So he's like, Stop being like, Well, we're just weak. We can't. We, I, I can't. Like, if you are out there struggling with like addictions or like. You can. Acts 1, 6 through 8. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Master, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the, po the point is, the Holy Spirit gives you power. John 16, 7 through 15, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall speak not of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Ezekiel 36, 26-27 A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So the point is, what I'm trying to make here, is the Holy Spirit is given to us, the, the, the set-apart spirit is given to us to help us, to guide us, to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us. John 1, 12, But as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of Elohim. So it's like whatever that you're into that's keeping you from truly walking like Messiah, I'm not talking uh, just to you. I'm talking about me. I've got, I've got failings that I've got to work on. But I'm not going to be like, well, I just I can't change and I am who I am. No. 
To them he gave power to become the sons of Elohim, even to them that believe on his name. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, I believe that. Also, you know, there's the temptations of the world. There's these temptations of these spirits and powers and principalities that like to whisper and say, Hey, remember how fun that used to be? John 1, 4, John, 1 John 4, 4. You are of Elohim, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So it's like, it doesn't matter what these temptations are or vices or whatever. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have the strength to do it. Revelation 12, 11, And they overcame him, the wicked one, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Matthew 19, 26, But Yahushua beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. So whatever you're faced with, and you're like, Oh, that just seems impossible. But with Elohim, all things are possible. Hallelujah. So, looking back at this again, as sons of Yahuwah, you inherit the, his substance. That's his Ruach. A lot of people have been asking, well, my, the understanding that I have of the Ruach, you know, is it a, we've been taught that it's a third person of the Trinity. I don't believe the, the Holy Spirit is a person, like a being like the Father or like the Son, but I believe it's part of him. It's like part of who he is that he puts in people. Like we see with Saul, the spirit of Yahweh departed from him and an evil spirit came upon him. And that's when he started doing really wicked and evil things, especially like trying to kill David and whatnot. As sons of Yahuwah, you inherit his substance. So by belief in Messiah, by being baptized, by repenting of our sins, we get filled with the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, and are heirs to glory. Think less of earthly weaknesses and more of godly strength. So call upon him. Call upon him for strength to fix whatever you need to fix in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 26, another in the crowd asked Yahusha about unjustified sufferings, and might not his cause bring this upon the heads of his followers? Someone else said, what about the Galileans who died in resisting the efforts of Pilate to appropriate the temple offerings so he could bring water to the city of Jerusalem?" Yahusha said, the Galileans and the governors did right in their own eyes, the former seeking to serve Elohim and the latter men. But these things are not matters to be placed at issue, for whoever serves one serves the other, and there is no clash of interests. Can you believe that the Galileans who suffered as they did were worse than others in Galilee? This is not so. They suffered for no wrongdoing, but through misguidance. Calamity strikes capriciously, so like at any time, randomly. Do you think those who died when the tower fell on them at Siloam deserve death more than the others? Life is full of uncertainties. So men must be made aware of the need for repentance, knowing the day of assessment may be near or far. Be sure of one thing. There will be no discrimination among you on the day of assessment. All will get their fitting reward. So we need to be ready. We need to be watchful. We need to be ready. That's part of this, this being watchful being on guard, being ready, guarding the house, recognizing that any of us, could, that could be our time. Tonight, tomorrow, next week, next year, we've got to be ready at any given moment. Let's see. Where are we at here? We'll go a little bit longer. Verse 29 of chapter 13 of Nazarene, Then one in the crowd shouted, Tell us about the kingdom of heaven. For surely, if we were going there, it is well to know what it is like. Yahushua said, If you're going to a distant city, which would be most beneficial, a description of it or details concerning the route? Then too, 
Is it not important to prepare for your reception? For if a man residing in a palace describe the place, this serves no purpose to one who will have to beg for scraps and sleep in the gutters. The road to heaven may be likened to ten young women who, taking their lamps, went out to meet a bridegroom, five being irresponsible and five reliable by nature. The irresponsible ones left everything to the last minute and snatched up their lamps, forgetting the oil containers were not filled. Because the bridegroom was delayed, all the young women lay down to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout to say the bridegroom was coming and to go out and meet him. The young women all arose and trimmed their lamps, but the irresponsible ones, finding theirs going out, said to others, Let us have some of your oil, for we forgot to fill the containers. The others replied, We cannot do this, for we do not have enough oil for all. And if we share with you, there will be insufficient to light the way. It is better to provide light all the way with five lamps than we will provide light for all for just a short distance. The irresponsible ones hastened to the oil vendor, but he would not serve them. And while they were away, the bridegroom arrived, and those who were ready lighted his way and joined the guests at the wedding, the doors then being closed. Later, when the irresponsible ones returned and stood outside shouting to be let in, the doorkeeper said, Who are you? What purpose do you serve? Go away. Therefore I say to you, be always alert, your spiritual lamps trimmed and filled with the oil which gives eternal light, for you never know the hour when you will be called. So obviously, this is another look at the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Let's take a look at um, Proverbs 6.23. So we know that, that the wise virgins had light. It was lit so they can light the way. Proverbs 6.23, for the commandment is the lamp and the law is light, period. The Torah is light. Isaiah 8, actually there's one more verse I didn't put in here, I just recognize. <clears throat> Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So if someone doesn't speak according to the Torah, it says there's no light in them. Song of Solomon um, because of the savor of your good ointments, your name is as ointment or oil poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love you? So your his his name is like oil. So what did these wise virgins have? They had the lamp. They had the commandments, and they had the guarding of the Torah. They had the oil. They had the name of Yahuwah, which I'll tell you is not just a pronunciation of his name. I think there is power and there is greatness in his name. But it's not like some secret combination that you've got to find and unlock by just saying his name. That's that's not it. His name is about his character. It's about who he is. It's about um, doing what's right, walking in, walking in what he says is right. That's part of his name. Job 18, 5 through 6. Yes, the light of the wicked shall be put out and the spark of his fire shall not shine. The light shall be dark in his tabernacle and his candle shall be put out with him. So people who don't walk in the law, walk in righteousness, obviously are walking in what? Wickedness. So the light of the wicked shall be put out and the spark of his fire shall not shine. That's that's the foolish virgins. Psalm 18, 20-30. Yahweh rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands has he recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of Yahuwah have not wickedly departed from my Elohim, for all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. 
Therefore has Yahuwah recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With an upright man, you will show yourself upright. With a pure, you will show yourself pure. And with a froward, you will show yourself froward. For you will save the afflicted people, but will bring down the high looks. For you will light my candle. Yahuwah, my Elohim, will enlighten my darkness. As we saw, this is this is giving, this is showing us this has something to do with his behavior. Just like we saw in an opposite way in Job here. Because the behavior, the light will be put out. But when someone keeps the ways of Yahuwah, he will light his candle. Matthew 7, 21 through 27. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and in your name have cast out devils, and in your name have done many wonderful works. Don't let anyone fool you. This is talking about a believer. Because non-believers don't prophesy in his name. Non-believers don't cast out devils in his name. And non-believers do not do many for wonderful works in his name. Believers do that. And then I will profess unto them, these believers, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity, you that work lawlessness. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man. So people that hear what Messiah talks about and actually does it will be a wise person. And anyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. Hopefully you have a better understanding of really who these wise and foolish are. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So earlier we saw the commandment was a lamp and his word is a lamp. It's the same thing. Leviticus 24, 1 through 2, what's the oil? Command the children of Israel that they bring unto you pure olive oil beaten for the light to cause the lamps to burn continually. It was their effort. It was their pressing. It was the life experiences. It was um, being true to his word in the face of adversity. If you didn't know, olives had to be literally crushed and pressed to get that oil out of it. Well, where do you think that leaves us? Let's go to Nazarene 13.34. They who stood about Yahushua asked, Who is chosen to enter heaven? And how is the selection made? So this is literally telling you how he selects who's going to go. Because many are called, but few are chosen or selected. So this whole story that we know pretty well from Matthew 18 is showing you how he's how he selects. Yahushua explained in this manner, a king decided to collect all debts due and order those who owed money to come before him. One of these was so heavily indebted that he was in no position to repay, which that's a, that's a parable for all of us. All of us have a debt we can't pay because we've broken his Torah. So the king ordered that he should be sold into slavery and satisfy the debt. The debtor begged the king to be patient, saying that given time, every last farthing would be paid. The king, taking pity on him, released the debtor from his obligations. A few days afterwards, the king's debtor met a poor poor man who owed him just a small amount. So this is showing, so this is a parable for all of us who have been forgiven of that debt through the blood of Messiah. Now it's like, okay, now that you've been forgiven, what about how are you going to handle, how are you going to interact with your fellow brothers and sisters? So a few days afterward, the king's debtor met a poor man who owed him just a small amount. And the king's debtor took hold of him and said, Repay me the money due at once, for I have no patience with defaulters. 
the poor man begged him to be patient, saying that, given time, he would repay in full. But the other would not have it and had the poor man committed to prison. Their poor man's friends reported the matter to the king who had the debtor brought before him. And he said, You villain, because you pleaded with me to have pity, I released you from the whole of your debt. Had I not done so, you would have thought me harsh. Yet what consideration have you shown? Then the king condemned the man to severe punishment until the whole of the debt was paid. In this manner, men are chosen for heaven. Stop the presses. So literally, there's going to be situations put in your life to see whether you have compassion and pity and long-suffering and mercifulness and kindness and gentleness to other people as Yahweh has done for you. And what this is showing is that when you don't have compassion and mercy and gentleness and forgiveness and long-suffering and all these other attributes, when you don't show them, he's not going to select you. That should put a true, genuine fear in your body, in your mind, in your soul when dealing with other brothers and sisters. Are you going to have patience? Are you going to have pity? Maybe even on the even on uh, those that are without, those that don't understand the faith, are you going to have pity on them to recognize they've just been deceived? People who don't understand like you do, they've been deceived. Even people in um, all sorts of walks of life and in, in, in terrible behaviors, are you going to have pity on them like Yahweh had pity on you when you were in your filthiness, in my filthiness? He had mercy and compassion on me. He wasn't like, oh, disgusting. Oh, you're so disgusting. Get away from me. Well, we probably couldn't draw near to him because we were disgusting, but he wasn't like, ew, ewy, I'm not dealing with you. No, he was like, you're just deceived and I'm going to have compassion and mercy on you. Get over here. Let me, lo let me love on you. Now, I'm not telling you to go around and just go hugging and loving on people. That's not what I'm saying. But in your heart, do you have compassion and mercy for the lost, especially your brothers and sisters? He's saying this is how he selects who goes into heaven. I don't know about you. But I want to, I want to, uh, yeah, I want to recognize that. These life experiences we go through are given to us to show true colors, to show who is who. To separate the separate believers from the, the real from the false. And therefore I say very earnestly, deal with others as you would be dealt with, not holding one Torah in your heart for yourself and letting another issue from your lips for others. Prepare yourselves for entry into heaven, for this can only be done here and is the purpose of earth. Do not think that because you are not immediately chastised, your iniquities are overlooked. Matter of fact, there's a passage <clears throat> that says that this is how it has to happen. Um It says, uh, <clears throat> if now, this is 2nd Ezra 7, chapter, or verse 9, if now that city is given to a man for an inheritance, how will the heir receive his inheritance unless he passes through the danger set before him? I said, he cannot master. And he said to me, so also is Israel's portion. For I made the world for their sake, and when Adam transgressed my statutes, what had been made was judged. And so the entrances of this world were made sorrowful, are narrow and sorrowful and toilsome. They are few and evil, full of dangers and involved in great hardships. That's 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 what life is for. Life is to test and to teach, as according to the book of Nazarim. Go to Nazarim four thirty one. <clears throat> Yehusha said, "Fear not the hostility of men, nor the wiles of the world. Rise above your conditions. Be like the water lily, which rises out of the mud." up through the murky waters into the sunlight above. 
Strive always to rise above your circumstances, for in striving you gain strength. The man whose path through life has been easy is never as good as the one whose path has been difficult. Life has two purposes only, to test and to teach, and for that, earth is perfect. So, again, deal with others as you would be dealt with. So how do you want to be dealt with? Do you want everyone to just put you on blast 24-7 and just, you know, I mean, okay, fine. Is that how you want to be treated? Then do that to others then. If you want people to have love and mercy and compassion and long-sufferingness, long-suffering and gentleness and meekness with you, do the same with others. A sower went out. This is not stream 1339. Oh, wait. Um, <clears throat> I actually want to say something real quick. Do not think that because you are not immediately chastised, your iniquities are overlooked. Sirach 5, 4 through 7. Do not say, I sinned, and what's happened to me? For Yahuwah is slow to anger. Do not be so confident of atonement that you add sin to sin. Do not say, His mercy is great. He will forgive the multitude of my sins. For both mercy and wrath are with him, and his anger rests on sinners. Do not delay to turn to Yahuwah, nor postpone it from day to day. For suddenly the wrath of Yahuwah will go forth, and at the time of punishment you will perish. Back to Natsrim 13.39. A sower went out into his grain field and sowed with good seed. But during the night... An enemy came and strewed wheat-like weeds over the ground and went away. After the wheat blades had sprouted and the stalks began to form wheat heads, the weeds among them were revealed. Then the field laborer went to the landholder and said, The field was sown with good seed, and yet it is now full of weeds. Shall we go and pull them up? The landholder answered, Someone who wishes me harm has done this. But in pulling up the weeds, you may do more damage. Let both grow together until harvest time. Then the reapers can separate the weeds from the wheat, stacking the weeds for burning and gathering the wheat into the granary. So I want to share this. This I believe this connects with what we were just reading. These life experiences are given to show true colors. These life experiences are for the selection process. Also, in his in the field. There's going to be people that look like us, that act like us, that say the right things, but aren't us. There's wheat and there's tares in this walk of belief. There's sheep and then there's goats. There's good and there's bad. There's life and then there's those, there's those who experience life and there's those who experience death. There's those who are walk in sweetness, those who walk in bitterness. One or the other. Choose you this day who you are and what you'll be. Natsarim thirteen forty. The landholder answered, "Someone who wishes to harm me has done this." Oh, we already read that. I'm sorry. Verse forty one. Therefore, because transgressors transgressors go unpunished here, do not think they are overlooked, or that there is not a day of accounting, not a single deed or thought, whether it be good or bad, is overlooked. One of the crowd said, "But our thoughts harm no one." Yehusha replied, only yourself, for thoughts mold, strengthening or weakening the Ruach. Is it not written, the nature of man is formed according to his thoughts? Now, this is kind of interesting because unless someone else show me here, I, I don't I don't think of any other passage. I can't think of any other passage where this will fit other than 4th Maccabees of what he's quoting. But before we go there, talking about thoughts, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6. For though we live in the world, we are not carrying on a worldly war. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine power and destroy strongholds. <clears throat> we destroy arguments and every proud obstacle to the knowledge of Elohim and take every thought captive to obey Messiah, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Now, let's talk about um, the nature of man is formed according to his thoughts. I the only place I can even find remotely of where this might be quoting is 4th Maccabees. And 4th Maccabees, if you haven't read it, is amazing. Uh, talking about earlier about how the Spirit gives gives us, the Holy Spirit helps us, is our comforter, is our guide, a teacher. Um, couple that understanding with what Maccabees from a, um, I don't know, maybe, I wouldn't call this philosophical, but from a, maybe from a philosophical scriptural point of view check this out maccabees fourth maccabees for uh 130 through 223 for reason is the guide of the virtues but over the emotions it is sovereign so when we talk about reason let's just say your mind so here he says the nature of man is formed according to his thoughts or your mind for reason is the guide of virtues but over the emotions it is sovereign or king Observe now first of all that rational judgment is sovereign over the emotions by virtue of the restraining power of self-control. Self-control then is dominance over the desires. Some desires are mental, others are physical, and reason obviously rules over both. Otherwise, how is it that when we are attracted to forbidden foods, we abstain from the pleasure to be had from them? Is it not because reason is able to rule over appetites? I for one think so. Therefore, when we crave seafood and fowl and animals and all sorts of foods that are forbidden to us by the law, we abstain because of domination by reason. For the emotions of the appetites are restrained, checked by the temperate mind, and all the impulses of the body are bridled by reason. Chapter 2. And why is it amazing that the desires of the mind for the enjoyment of beauty are rendered powerless? It is for this reason, certainly, that the temperate Joseph is praised because by mental effort he overcame sexual desire. For when he was young and in his prime for intercourse, by reason, by his reason, he nullified the frenzy of the passions. Not only is reason proved to rule over the frenzied urge of sexual desire, but also over every desire. Thus the law says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or anything that is your neighbor's. In fact, since the law has told us not to covet, I could prove to you all the more that reason is able to control the desires. Just so it is with the emotions, I'm sorry, just so it is with the emotions that hinder one from justice. Otherwise, how could it be that someone who is habitually a solitary gormandizer, uh, this is a, someone who eats and like, like, it's like someone who is participates in gluttony and eats by themselves, feasts by themselves. A solitary gormandizer, a glutton, or even a drunkard can, drunkard can learn a better way unless reason is clearly master of the emotions. Thus, as soon as a man adopts a way of life in accordance with the Torah, even though he is a lover of money, he is forced to act contrary to his natural ways and to lend without interest to the needy and to cancel the debt when the seventh year arrives. If one is greedy... He is ruled by the law through his reason, so that he is neither so that he neither gleans his harvests nor gathers the grapes from the vineyard. In all other matters we can recognize that reason rules the emotions. For the law prevails even over affections for parents, so that virtue is not abandoned for their sakes. It is superior to love for one's wife, so that one rebukes her when she breaks the law. 
It takes precedence over love for children so that one punishes them for misdeeds. It is sovereign over the relationship of friends so that one rebukes his friend when they act wickedly. Do not consider it paradoxical when reason, through the law, can prevail even over enmity. The fruit trees of the enemy are not cut down, but one preserves the property of enemies from the destroyers and helps raise up what has fallen. It is evident that reason rules even the more violent emotions, lust for power, vainglory, boasting, arrogance, and malice. For the temperate mind repels all these malicious emotions, just as it repels anger, for it is sovereign over even this. When Moses was angry with Dathan and Abiram, he did nothing against them in anger, but controlled his anger for by reason. For, as I have said, the temperate mind is able to get the better of the emotions, to correct some, and to render others powerless. Why else did Jacob, our most wise father, censor the households of Simeon and Levi for their irrational slaughter of the entire tribe of the Shechemites, saying, Cursed be their anger. For if reason could not control anger, he would not have spoken thus. Now, when Elohim fashioned man, he planted in him emotions and inclinations. But at the same time, he enthroned the mind among the senses as sacred governor over them all. To the mind he gave the Torah, and one who lives subject to this will rule a kingdom that is temperate, just, good, and courageous. The rest of this book is amazing. If you have not read 4th Maccabees, I, if nothing else, I hope this study inspired you to go read 4th Maccabees. It's an amazing book. The, the wisdom that we can g glean from that with the power of the Ruach HaKodesh he's put in us, truly with Elohim, nothing is impossible. Let's go back to Nazarene 1344. Yehusha was asked, What then is a Ruach? For the holy books do not make this clear. He replied, The Ruach of man may be likened to a date seed planted in the darkness of the ground, giving no indication to anyone not knowing its nature of what it will become. When the tree springing from from it is full grown, it spreads out in the sunshine, a haven for birds and a source of pleasure for men. Or it may be likened to leaven which a woman places in a bushel of flour, there it spreads throughout the whole to change its nature. It is like a treasure buried in waste ground. The plot had no value until it was rumored that a treasure was there. Then, med, med, the, then men bid against each other to obtain it. While within the egg, a chick is self-sustaining, but once the shell is broken, it must be fed. So it is with the Ruach of man and the Ruach HaKodesh. I assure you that every plant not nourished by the waters of life will wither and die. So this is kind of like the parable of the sower, like different grounds, different results. Um, so it's saying the, the Ruach of man, just the may the life of man is different. It's, plant, it's planted, of course, the husband and the wife or the man and the woman, and it comes out, it grows, and it keeps growing until what it becomes. Matthew twelve thirty three through 37 Either make the tree good and his fruit good or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt for the tree is known by his fruit the fruit of his doings the fruit of his behaviors the fruit of the emotions either love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness meekness, long-suffering, self-control or anger, malice, wrath, seditions envy, hatred, jealousy so on and so forth O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, seek good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So literally what's in someone's heart, they can't contain it. It comes out with their words. They can they can hide it for a while, but after, after a certain amount of time, who they really are comes to fruition. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Matthew seven twelve through 20 Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter you in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, but few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, because they're the one that's going to get you off the path. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, so they're going to look like one of us, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Speaking of man and plant and all that good stuff, let's look at Gad the seer mentioned in First uh, Chronicles twenty nine twenty nine. Let's go to Gad chapter eight. We're going to start at verse nine and go through the end. Remember and obey the Torah of Moshe, the man of Elohim, so that you will live a blessed life all of your days. Ask your fathers and they will teach you. Ask your elders and they will instruct you. Do not just listen to the law, but be strong and valiant to obey all of it. Hearing is like the seed, but a deed shows that the seed has taken root in you. It then becomes a tree of belief which produces the fruit of true righteousness. What becomes of a smelly rotten seed if no root will come out of it? So hurry, be quick to hear and act. For if you are a true seed, if you have belief and righteousness, then Yahweh will bless you with all with peace. Live in peace with each other. Love the deeds and those created in the image of Yahweh like your own selves, because it is a sign that you love the Creator, if you love His creation. You cannot take hold of the one, but withdraw your hand from the other. Love Yahuwah and also man, so that it will be well with you all the days of your life. All right. Let's go to Not Serene 1347. And I think I don't have a whole lot of notes for the rest of this chapter, so I'm just going to read the rest of it. Uh, I think the Master does a great job of just saying what it means and I don't need to say a word I mean I don't need ever ever need to say a word but you know sometimes it is nice to connect things but we're just going to read the rest of chapter 13 and we're going to finish up this uh, study several in the crowd said tell us again about those who enter the kingdom of heaven Yahushua replied with these parables admittance may be likened to a wedding feast prepared by a king for his son he dispatched servants inviting many guests but though each was told the feast is preparing even now the geese and the beasts are being roasted, the bread is in the ovens, and there is wine on the tables. Yet those invited ignored the messengers, saying they were too busy with their own affairs, while they abused or even ill-treated them. When this came to the ears of the king, he sent soldiers to take those who had ill-treated his messengers and confine them in dismal dungeons. The king then said to his servants, Though I prepared a sumptuous feast, those I invited were unworthy of the honor I paid them. Go out again and invite any who will come. The servants went out into the streets, returning with many persons. However, while they were all seated at the table, the king noticed one who had behaved badly, using lewd language to those beside him. 
The king called two servants and bid them to take the man and throw him into the dungeons with the others. But to make sure, he went to one where he went to the sorry he went to one where there was the most filth, so he would be in his own element. I have said before, though many are invited, few are chosen. Now I say, many choose not to come. There is another way for separating the wheat from the chaff, illustrated by this parable. A man left for a distant country, but before departing he called his servants to him and entrusted him with his store of gold. To one he gave three bars of gold, to another two bars, and another one bar, each receiving gold in accordance with his capabilities. The servant who received three bars of gold went and exchanged these for silver, spending this in pleasure and high living, thinking that with all this silver he could have a really good time. The servant who received two bars was a cautious man, and he buried his gold in a safe place, for he thought it best not to take chances with it. The servant who had received one bar went and bought goods which he resold, and resold, and by this and other efforts he obtained another gold bar. For he thought to himself, as the master did not think me as capable as the others, I must prove I am. When the master returned, he called his servants for an accounting, and the one who had received three gold bars said, Good master, with so much wealth I could not resist temptation and spent it enjoying myself, never thinking about the day of accounting. The master said, You are an untrustworthy scoundrel, and he placed him in bondage until the whole of the value was repaid. The man who had received two bars of gold said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, and I was afraid to take any risks, so I safeguarded the gold. Here it is. The master said, You have been neither good nor bad, but took your ease while I was away. Go about your job, but expect no promotion. The man who received one bar of gold said, Having only one bar, I increased it to two, for I knew that you would need gold on your return, and have been a good master. To this one, the man, the man said, Well done. You have proved worthy of my trust. I will now place you in charge of my treasury. One of the people gathered about Yahushua and said, How should I treat my servants? For I have one who is troublesome. Though perhaps it is his youth. Yehusha then told this parable. A man had a garden plot set aside for vines, but a self-planted fig tree grew among them. In the fruiting season, the man came to this plot accompanied by his gardener, who said, This fig tree is interfering with the vines. If it fruited, it might not matter. But as it does not, would it be best to cut it down? For it is only taking goodness from the soil, which cannot be, which could be used more profitably by the vines. The man said, Leave it for another season but give it a little attention. Then, if it fails to fruit next season, cut it down. I like figs, but a new cutting might take a long time to mature. And this tree, having, cho having chose is chosen its own situation, may yet prove more profitable in this plot than the vines. Yehusha said, If a fig tree grows among vines, it can be left, for both produce good fruit. But if it grows among thorns, then these are cut down and the fig tree left on its own. If a man hires three laborers for his vineyard and there is work only for two, he dismisses the one least worthy of his hire. Yet everyone who labors must be paid his due. But if one pour less than full measure into the task, he cheats no less than the one who deceives at the weighing. Some self-righteous people who picked pieces out of the Torah to suit their convenience as a child picked segment from a pomegranate and lived by these ridiculed Yahusha. But he said to them, you who try to impress others with your righteousness are hypocrites. But what goes in your goes on in your mind is not overlooked. Admiration and popularity may benefit you in this world, but count for nothing in the world to come, unless worthily earned. I come to herald the rule of Elohim, when such as you will be swept aside by those who serve his cause. Some in the crowd shouted, Who will you take to serve it? Yehusha replied, 
when the trumpet sounds the rallying call and two men are reaping the field. Now, this is interesting because I've always thought that when Messiah says one is taken and the other is left, I always thought that the one being taken was the good one, was the good place, and the one being left was not good. The book of Nazarim confirms that. When the trumpet sounds and the rallying call and two men are reaping in the field, one will be taken and the other ignored. Two scribes will be riding in a room, one will be taken and the other ignored. Two women will be grinding corn, one will be taken and the other ignored. Someone said, where will they be taken? Yahusha answered, vultures gather where the carcass lies and bees where the flowers grow. Flies are drawn to stinking meat. Brave men converge on the battlefield while cowards seek their hideouts. The day of decision will come like a roll of thunder. And on that day, those serving the cause of Yahuwah will be separated from those who serve the powers of darkness. So it's like when the kingdom comes, he's going to grab his righteous and bring them up, just like we thought. There were many other parables which Yahusha used in this place to bring understanding to the people. He taught simply so all could grasp what he said. But afterwards, when alone with the twelve, he explained things differently, revealing a deeper meaning. So, brothers and sisters, we finished chapter 13 this week. Praise Yah. Yah willing, we'll see you next week for chapter 14. And uh, just want to say blessings and shalom to you. Actually, let's just pray. Father Yahuwah, we just bless you. The word says that we can bless you. David blessed you, Father, through prayer, through song. And we bless you, O Yahuwah, who created you created everything through your son, Yahushua HaMashiach, in six days. And on the seventh, you rested. Father, we thank you for the Shabbat. We thank you for the rest. We thank you for each other, the brethren. We thank you for the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit you've given us. We thank you for your word, which has been preserved for us, O Yahuwah. Thank you so much, and we just ask that you bless everyone um, that calls upon your name and, and believes in your Son and walks in the commandments the best they possibly can. Father, we pray for your Spirit to be upon us, to be poured upon us, for reconciliation with each other, with unity of the faith, O Yahuwah, and we just can't, we can't stop thanking you enough. As the prophet Baruch said, if every single hair of my head had voice, I'd still not be able to sing you the praises you deserve. Bless you. Yahushua's name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to do a song or two, maybe just one song, and we'll uh, finish her up today. So what song do we want to hear? Let's go with... I'm ready for the change. Oh, yeah, come lead the way to your place where I know my heart will be laid bare before you. Oh, Father, you see through all my insecurities that prove my lack of faith towards you. Oh, Father, do what you please. I want nothing but your spirit and truth. Oh, yeah, you're all I need. I believe nothing Stop you I'm on my knees Oh Father Yah Will you lead me to your holy place Take everything Oh yeah, I'm on my face singing I'll wait for you I'll wait for you I'll wait for you
ocean tallways like mountains at the feet of be careful not to take each step the lot minded now I can say don't worry it'll be okay cause God has a funny way of changing up our lives oh father do what you please I want nothing but your spirit and truth oh yeah you're all I need I believe nothing Show us the 